Welcome to Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. I am Ethan. And this is the boy, boy episode. Boy. There's no real like normal way to say that word. No. We were afraid it would be creepy. Yeah. Well, boys. <laughs> I just made it kind of creepy. creepy. You just, yeah. It's, it's getting weird in here. Mm-hmm. No, but uh, this is the boy episode. Um, a quick overview of this episode. We're going to be reviewing the movie Beasts of No Nation, which is about a boy mm-hmm. in Africa. Um, and our album of the week is Three Imaginary Boys by The Cure. And then our beer of the week, kind of off the, the beaten path, is Omission. You're going to have to walk us through this one. And this is, uh, this is a little bit of a different one. This is uh, Omission. And I don't happen to know the, the name of the brewery, believe it or not. Really? Didn't you say this is was Osos? No. Hmm. It's nowhere on the bottle, and it wasn't really on the pack. I'm pouring this over my new computer. That's, that's a risky business. That's a good investment right there. But the reason we chose this, obviously, is because... How does it not say on the bottle? I, don't, I didn't see it anywhere. Okay. Well, I'll look it up as you talk about why you picked this. Well, we picked it because Omission, as many people know, and it's gotten a lot of headlines, uh, our movie of the week, Beast of Donation, was omitted from... The Academy Awards caused a lot of controversy. Idris Elba, who acts in the movie, again, omitted from the awards. But this is uh, omission. It's an IPA, very light IPA at that. Yes, and I, I see here it's done by a brewery called the Widmer Brothers Brewing Company out okay, of Oregon, they, United yeah, States. Yeah, they, they have a lot of other beers. Yeah. See, so yeah, it's a, just a regular IPA. One note on it is that it's gluten-free. Yep. So that's kind of interesting, and also it comes in at 6.7% alcohol by volume, so it's not super strong, but it's stronger than your your normal lager will be. Yep. And usually gluten-free beers are kind of weird. Yeah, this one is, I don't know what to really make of it. I've had it once before, and I ordered it not knowing it was a gluten-free beer. Give that a shot. Try it on for size. Hmm. Well, it doesn't taste gluten-free. No. It really, that's that's the thing. It was a little, It's it's got the piney... Essences you usually get with a with an IPA. One thing about glu- this gluten-free beer specifically, and I don't know, I, c- I can't scientifically prove it, but I'll swear, I had this with a with a dinner one night, and I swear it dehydrated me more than your average beer. Hmm. It was the the strangest thing. Because I guess if it, if a beer is uh, gluten-free, they can't use wheat in the process, so a lot of times they use um. They use sorghum or something like that instead, and maybe there's something in there that it causes you to get dehydrated. I don't know. Yeah, I just happened to notice that. But again, it's for a gluten-free beer, pretty pretty good effort, I think. Yeah, it's not all, bad. All things considered. I enjoy but it. That's the beer of the week from Widmer Brothers. They have a lot of other beers, though. Yeah, I feel like I've had some. I might have even had this before. I don't know. Yeah, at this point. <clears throat> at this point in the game. But anyhow, this is the boy episode, so the definition of the word... A boy is a male child or young man, and the other definition is used informally or lightheartedly to refer to a man. Mm-hmm. So what, is, what does boy mean to you? Well, just like, I guess, the opposite, which would be girl, but when I think of a boy, I think of, you know, a young, youthful male mm-hmm. who is kind of maybe starry-eyed or not a, not a completely filled-out page yet, somebody who has their whole life in front of them, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe that society has certain expectations put on to them uh, and whether or not they are raised the right way or choose to accept certain realities, they could become anything. So I think with a boy, you're really, you know, you could be anything. Yeah, you're still a child. So Yeah, and that's, that's my read too. I think that it, to me, it means like, inf- kind of, it sounds kind of dumb, but like infinite wonder. Like you can you can be anything you can do anything you have a lot your whole life in front of you. Yeah. But I also think of the the kind of contrast. You're a boy for a long time, then you become a man. Sure. You know, for a while you're supposedly a young man, but I think that's kind of a quicker transition. It's a big transition for a lot of uh, a lot of young men out there. 
It's like so. the, the 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 big movie from 2014 was Boyhood, and yeah, I think one of the big uh, questions that movie brought up was when do you stop becoming a boy and start becoming a man or an adult? Where 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 does that happen uh, along the way? Yeah, great movie. That and yes. that, that like I think that movie epitomized. Yeah. being a boy at least like, at least epitomize being a boy if in a you are a family yeah if you are a pretty average white middle class child raised in austin texas yeah and that's kind of one of the things not to get off topic here one of the things i liked about that movie was it was very honest about what kind of person it was portraying and it didn't try to shove anything down your throat it was like this is boyhood from this child's perspective take mm-hmm. it or leave it yep I think that's really interesting. And I think actually in a lot of ways, Beasts of No Nation has, same, I mean, it's same totally different, uh, you know, circumstances, but definitely has the same concepts of how does one's upbringing shape who they become. And we'll, uh, we'll cover that in movie of the week. But yes. again, very, very interesting transition in terms of 20, 2015 or was that 2014? 2014. 2014. Yep. Now we're in 2015. With Beast of No Nation, kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Again, though, kind of uh, survival. No, big time. But we'll we'll cover that again. We're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Yes. <laughs> Putting the cart before the horse. But um, onto our high priority news items. More awards were announced. The Screen Actors Guild Award or SAG announced their winners. Um, and I think would you want to cover that in movie of the week? Or do you sure. Wanna... Yeah, we can do that then. And actually, the the Producers Guild Award as well which in a previous uh, podcast we had talked about the nominees for, so we can go over the people who won those quickly. Kind of paints an interesting picture on where uh, the Oscars might be headed. Yep, paving the way to the uh, the almighty Academy Awards. But into kind of the in-between, and again, our movie of the week is Beast of No Nation, but Net- and Netflix, uh, did they produce it or purchase it? I was reading they purchased the rights to the film. Which film? Beast of No Nation. Oh, yeah, I believe... Yes, it was produced by a movie production company. I couldn't tell you who, but yes, Netflix bought the rights to distribute it. So Netflix's name is on it. They own the rights to the movie, but I do not believe that they had anything to do with the the actual production of the movie. Mm-hmm. But they've been doing a lot of producing themselves, and uh, you know they were once just a place you just strictly watched movies on and occasionally a TV show, but now they've gone on to producing their own shows, and um, they actually just announced, and this was actually last, I think last week. That they're releasing something like eleven new shows in twenty sixteen. That's a lot. Which is a that's almost like network worthy. I mean, know? they're they have more original programming than most networks, I think, at this point, especially after this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and they're relaunching uh, Marvel's Jessica Jones, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I loved. Yes. Uh, Grace and Frankie, uh, Orange Is the New Black, of course, and House of Cards, as well. And then their new programs. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, Black Mirror, Flaked, The Ranch, Lost and Found Music Studios, uh, Kong, The King of Apes, Marseille, Word Party, The Get Down, and Love. And a lot, a few of these, uh, specifically um, Kong, King of Apes, Lost and Found Music Studios, and Word Party are kid or teen programming. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this other stuff, I mean, The Get Down is Boz Ler- uh, Ler- Lerman's, mm-hmm. am I saying that correctly? Yep. Um, it's his music-driven drama. But this is just a... A huge amount of shows. Yeah, it's amazing for them and, to take on. And to think sh- a show like Orange is the New Black is going into season four, House of Cards is going into season four, and they actually already saw that they just re- recently announced that they are doing season five of House of Cards as well. To think they already have these kind of baseline shows, and there's some other things we didn't even mention, like Daredevil and Bloodline. Yeah. I mean, they have an amazing number of programs, and not on top of that, they have all these new things coming out. I mean, they've really situated themselves as a powerhouse. I mean, that's that they have. They attract a big-name talent. They do. And then specifically, too, in the documentary genre, mm-hmm. they are becoming a power, a huge power player um, in that variety as well. But honestly, Bloodline in 4K is amazing. That is a beautiful show to watch in 4K. That's actually my favorite. Of everything I've seen on Netflix, that's my favorite show Yeah, of theirs. Really uh, good. House like of Cards was my favorite. Actors. until I, As much as I enjoyed the last season of House of Cards, I felt it was kind of a step backwards. And they were kind of waiting to tell the story they wanted to until this year, in an mm-hmm. election year, because that's kind of what's going on in that show. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of felt that. But yeah, Bloodline is, is great. I mean, really, all these that I've seen are fantastic. 
Yeah. So I'm excited to see these new shows. Yeah, and the few of them, like Flaked is a serial, a serial co- comedy, as they're calling it, with Will Arnett. Um, and then Ashton Kutcher's in here on the ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of upcoming stuff, a lot of exciting things. I'm, I would assume if you don't already have a Netflix membership, a lot of people probably will. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the things here is they're trying to create content that a lot of people talk about. And I think they've already achieved that. But to have more coming out will only make people who don't have Netflix look at Netflix and say, well, you know, I want to see these shows too. And they're the right now, unless you buy the Blu-rays, because they do release these on Blu-ray as well, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Unless you have Netflix or buy the Blu-rays, there's no way to watch them. So, I mean, they're creating their own demand. Weird question, and this is kind of off topic, but... Do you feel that if you are a fan of a Netflix show and you buy the Blu-ray, because to me that's kind of pointless, is that kind of the same thing as buying like a tour shirt at a concert for like a music fan? No. How is that the same thing? I feel like that's the same thing. Like why purchase why purchase it on Blu-ray when you have it in high definition? Well, with a, with a with a con- it's different from buying a shirt at a concert. I feel like you're like you buy it, if you go see a band and you buy a shirt. In terms you, of like the concept, though, I'm not saying. But if like you never see that band ever again, it's not like with Netflix. True. As long as you have. As long as you subscribe to Netflix, we assume that you have access to these shows. Yeah. I mean, I personally wouldn't do it unless for some reason Netflix went downhill. I think I would consider buying things like House of Cards Mm -hmm. and uh, Bloodline on on Blu-ray just so in the future I could watch again. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that they, I can't imagine their sales are very high for that, but it is a market you want to cover, so. Yeah, and they, they, I mean, they clearly for House of Cards and Orange is the New Black have like dedicated fan bases for those shows. Big time. Well, and they're, they're very, very highly uh, rated and uh, received by critics, too. Yeah. And another TV show that we'll, we'll talk about very, very briefly is uh, Zach Gal- Galakinapagas. So I think he has a special place in both of our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of his, his comedic delivery. But he has a new show called Baskets, which is about a, a clown who went to clown school in France. He's like a classically trained clown. It's just like his life kind of falling apart. Yeah. I watched half of an, this is pathetic, but I watched half of an episode <laughs> and I was brutally entertained. It's very, very black comedy. Not, not in terms of like, <laughs> like a, dark yeah, comedy, right, right. very dark. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another TV show. That's I'd like to watch there. it because I like him and I imagine it's, it's very, yeah, like you said, very darkly humorous and mm-hmm. maybe kind of dry. As well, it just kind of. I remember when I first saw it advertised, I kind of thought like this seems like a real stretch for network television. Yeah. Like it's just a brand of humor that's hard to sell to people. So. And I, I think it is, and honestly, I think it will. I would predict it gets canceled at. But then FX had um has had a long history of. Did they do the show Wilfred? Yeah. That, See, that was another that show, and I liked that a lot. Yeah. But I couldn't. It lasted like three seasons. Yeah. Which, you know, for a lot of sit for popular sitcoms isn't necessarily a, a super long time. But, uh, yeah, the fact that they take risks on shows like Wilfred or this Baskets show is kind of cool. And I was, I was actually struck by how much weight he's lost. Yeah, he's it's, lost a ton of weight. He looks different. Like, you know, when he was in Hangover and I think Delivery Date? Was Deli- due Date. Or due Date. Due Date, yep. He was in that one, too, and very kind of he was known for his belly and yeah, he was the chubby dumb guy yeah and now he's kind of lost the weight and now he's just a skinny creepy guy depressing clown <laughs> what better but uh awesome so the, again this is the boy episode um coming up we will review the movie beasts of no nation which you can watch if you have a netflix membership it's streaming you can watch it right now Right now, you could watch it as we're reviewing it. Yeah, act like this episode is a commentary for the movie. It w- it'd probably be stupid and not work out very well, but it's possible. It could be. It could work. <laughs> no. Right? No, it couldn't. As we talk about The Cure. The Cure. And then after that, Three Imaginary Boys by The Cure. <laughs> Album of the Week. Beer of the Week is Omission. A gluten-free option if you have a gluten intolerance. You can go enjoy this beer. If you're a celiac and like to get drunk. Is that what you say, though? Like, if you have celiac disease, are you a celiac? Or do you have celiac disease? I feel like that's... I don't know. But gluten intolerance... That's hard to say. Not everyone can just say gluten intolerance ten times fast. We could try. Gluten intolerance. 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 Piece of cake. Piece of cake. No, but... Anyway. Celiac. I guess you say I have a... I'm a celiac. I have celiac. 
disease. Oh, I think I would say I'm a celiac. Because it kind of sounds like you're a spaceman. <laughs> you lost me at that point. In any case, <laughs> if you are if you have celiac disease, you can drink this beer. You could, yeah. You can rock and roll like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. All right, anyhow, Weekly Neurosis, we'll be right back. We're going to review Beast of No Nation. In the break, you will hear music from the album of the week, which is Three Imaginary Boys by The Cure. Weekly Neurosis, we'll be right back. Welcome back in. Weekly Neurosis. This is our movie of the week. Yep. Beasts of No Nation. Beasts of No Nation. What? I was what? just, I don't know. This is the movie, obviously, movie of the week. Beasts of No Nation, though. Netflix release. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot is, I'm sorry to rush in. No, it's okay. The, the listener could have been overwhelmed. They were like, whoa. The movie is Beasts of No Nation, yeah, and this is what no it's about. This is what it's about. The plot, it follows the journey of a young boy, Agu, who, fa- who is forced to join a group of soldiers in Nigeria, a West African country. While Agu fears that his commander and many of the men around him, he, oh man, this has a lot of, (laughs) his childhood has been brutally shattered by by the war raging through his country, and he is at first torn between confirmation of revolution and fascination of <laughs> and the mechanics of war that does not shy away from the explicit, very visceral, that, visceral Come on, man. detail and paints of complex, uh, difficult picture of Ago as a child soldier, which mm-hmm. is, is accurate, minus my mess ups. But so, the cast yeah. is Abram Ate, Abraham Ata, Idris Elba, Kurt. Aguiwan and Manuel de Amboque. Yeah. The crew is director, screenplay, and cinematography, which that that's the first I've seen. Um, of Carrie Joy Fancoyga. Music by Dan Rumor and based on the book by the same name by Ozudima Wila. Yes. Wow. And the filming locations, it was filmed in, in Ghana in several different locations. I think it was the west part of the country, but pretty much mostly filmed. It was all filmed there. Yes, and a tidbit, the director, his I think his name is Kerry Fukunaga. He is most well known for, he did all of season one of True Detective. He directed every single episode of the first season of True Detective. Really? Yep, and uh, he had been around before that as well. Uh, and he was actually attached, I think before he did this movie, to do a... Um, uh, uh, not a remake, but a newer version of Stephen King's It, but he dropped out because the studio kept making him change his script, and he didn't like that. Because that makes more sense. Because this this movie is well put together. So yeah, if you've seen True Detective, the the season one with uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, Matthew McConaughey, uh, he did he directed every single episode of that, which is unusual for a TV show, and this is really his first major project since that. So yeah, but to do the, I mean, directing the screenplay and the cinematography. Mm-hmm. That's hard like, right. to do those three things, but six. It was a six million dollar budget uh, on this movie, which is very low mm-hmm. compared to a lot of the other movies that are very popular. But what did you think of this film? Um, well, again, talking about the director, I, I mean, I love True Detective uh, season one and season two, but you can definitely see that this is the work of the guy who did season one yeah. of this because. Uh, I mean, it's it's dark, it's violent, it's incredibly gorgeous, and it's complex. But I mean, I really like this movie. But yeah. it's definitely it's definitely a movie you kind of have to be pre- prepared for because it's uber violent in a very realistic way. It's really sad. Um, it's it's very tragic in a lot of ways, but it doesn't necessarily pause or take time to to let some of the heart wrenching things that happen sink in. Just because in a situation like this, a child soldier 
you know, being not necessarily forced, but brainwashed into killing other innocent people. Uh, uh, it's just, um, in real life, the, those kind of people don't necessarily get those breaks themselves. And the movie is very honest in that respect. So, I mean, I really, really like this movie, but I do think it has some issues, especially near the, the, the last half, but that's purely from like a, a film standard, because I think in terms of, uh, it's cinematography, which is unbelievably gorgeous, uh, and just most of its aspects as a film, it's really, really great. Yeah, and I'm same boat as you. I think that the beauty's a big part of it, but they the, just the way the film's set up in the first half moves really well. Because mm -hmm. I think if I have to, think, and again, obviously, I wasn't a child soldier. I don't know that much. I've read about them. I don't know specifics, but that life is very fast, mm -hmm. and you're moving from city to city to city, and they capture that perfectly. Um, and they make a lot of the violence, even though it is, it's, it's very realistic, but it's very, as I said before, when we were talking about fair, digestible. Mm -hmm. It just kind of makes sense in what they're doing. It's horrible, though. Absolutely horrid. Yeah. What, you're, what you see and obviously what they see. But just it captures this life of this kid very vividly, and it's real, and it kind of catches his life. I think the break, they put in that break when they... Um, go to the you know general's house okay sure kind of perfectly because at that point you've just been like boom boom it's boom, really boom, near boom, the boom, end boom, of the boom, movie boom. though yeah and then it kind of stops there mm -hmm. for a little bit and that's kind of how it, i think it would be if you were one of those people you'd be going from place to place to place to place to place and then you got get bust into this complex and sure. then things slow down and then it, it picks back up again well and that's one thing the movie does so well is it focuses on the perspective of this boy who gets mm -hmm. You know, not really spoilers, it's just how it happened in the first 20 minutes or so of the movie. His family gets torn apart by this situation. And he really kind of literally stumbles into the grasp of these, one of the, the factions who puts a gun in his hand and puts him to work pretty much. Um, he doesn't really have, to, he doesn't, you, just like the, the boy in the story, you don't see, he doesn't understand really the, the, the bigger picture here. And they don't really necessarily take the time to explain the bigger picture to us either. We're not really sure if we should be rooting for these people or if we shouldn't be because they're doing terrible things, but we see the side they're fighting against doing terrible things as well. And it's all done from this kid's perspective. Uh, so yeah, until we get to a later scene in the movie, you don't really know what, these, what this particular group of soldiers' place in the war is. And I feel like they place you well with that because you, when it starts in the movie, you know their village is being attacked. Mm -hmm. He falls into their grasp. You think they're evil, but then it kind of develops that. And I think the reality is in in that area, and the point they kind of make is that everything's evil. This whole process is evil. Obviously, kids holding guns is is really evil, and right. But a very honest film mm -hmm. in that regard of like what these kids go through and kind of the group think mentality yeah and i think to go along with kind of everything about the bigger picture of the story is one thing i liked about it is that it's very apolitical yeah this is the kind of story where you could equate to actual um conflicts that are occurring or have occurred in, in recent history uh, in africa but other than naming a couple of countries uh, there really is no context given here. No. I don't even think they really say where they are in Africa or what country this is. That was is. my question about the the description is they say Nigeria. I, I don't... It's not important though because the whole the point isn't to pick a, a, a conflict yeah. and, and make a point about it. The point is that these things happen and whether you think this or that is right or wrong, this is how people are impacted by it. And this is how a child whose family is destroyed by this thing is impacted, potentially impacted by it. And the movie doesn't make a politi political statement about who's right or wrong. It just shows you this is how things happen. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even, it's, it's fictional. None of this is true. This isn't based on uh, any actual event necessarily, but these kind of things happen all the time. There are conflicts from different countries in Africa that have been going on for many, many decades that this kind of thing happens. But the movie isn't making a statement about that. It's showing you how it transforms people. And that's one of the reasons I liked it so much. Yeah. Yeah, and he absolutely did. But I, I mentioned that I did have some issues with the movie. And this didn't make my top ten of last year because I do think that we, we had mentioned the scene, there's a scene later on, you know, a little bit more than halfway through the movie where there's sort of a break in the, the process this kid is going through. We're kind of given more of an insight as to what's going on. 
And in my opinion, after that scene happened, I thought the movie got very predictable. And I think it took way too long to get to the point it made in the end. And I think the last like 20 or 30 minutes of this movie went on for way too long. And this is a two and a half hour long movie. This is a long movie and I think it didn't have to be quite so long. And I really felt it in the end because after, I mean, at that point we had really seen this character go through all the motions. And I kind of knew it was gonna, where it was going to end up. And it just too, took too long for me to get to that point. So I kind of felt myself in the final stretch of this movie wishing it was shorter. Yeah, and the, you, you can kind of describe it in acts. Like the second to last act of the film, obviously there's the, the finale in mm-hmm. the film. The second to last, I thought it was just pointless. I, did, I saw no point in, in, that, in, in that area. When you see it, you kind of see it too when they're in. I, I can't spoil it. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that that to me it it just doesn't make sense in terms of the flow because they create a lot. The climax to me is when they're in the the you know complex. Mm-hmm. There's that's kind of the climax, sure. and you know that everything's going to be bad from that point. All right, because you see everything building up throughout this movie. It does a good job of escalating the issues that are going on and you see the stuff the kids have to do and how the adults treat them and some of the stuff going on there and then you learn about why they're doing this and what they're doing and after it kind of shows when you kind of get to the penultimate moment of that the movie still has like 45 minutes left to go yeah and it just never it, it not to say that that part was bad in the movie i just felt like it was it was too obvious like it was doing things that i'd seen before and i didn't necessarily think it had to take as long as it did to end up where, because I liked how it ended. I think the final uh, couple of scenes in the movie were really strong, but they could have gotten there faster. Yeah, and I love the ending too, because you don't like they. You don't know that he's okay, really. You know, right. you, you know that he's in this place, and it's I, the ending was good. I just thought the yeah, the midpoint to me was the issue. I to me that's why I. I mean, I had it in my. I think I had it in my top ten, didn't I? I think you did. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. I mean, it, it had enough there, though. Well, right. No, I wouldn't fault anybody for having this in their top ten. Just for me, it didn't quite... It lost a little bit of the emo- emotional uh, impact in the at the end. But uh, again, not to say that it was bad by any means, and maybe that's just me having seen way too many damn movies and being like, oh, yeah, okay, I know where this is going. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just felt like it was a little too long. But uh, not a huge complaint, but it did. It, it definitely made me... Actually, was gonna. I've, I watched this a couple of weeks ago, and I was going to watch it again as a refresher for this episode, but I, I didn't just because I was like, oh, man, it gets kind of boring towards the end. Yeah. So I guess that's worth mentioning. <laughs> I, I did watch it at night specifically, and I'd actually recommend this as kind of a midday to noon type movie. Not a morning movie because it'll ruin it'll your day. Ru- yeah. I mean, just kind of like, you know, maybe afternoon, <laughs> late afternoon. Because gotcha. it, it's, it's not a lifter. Let's just put it that way. It's not going to lift you up and make you want to yeah. do good things. I, I mean, it no. it's not going to make you want to like do evil, but yeah. it's just not going to... Won't, won't pick you up. But yeah. what would you rate this, 1 to 10? I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. I think the first two two-thirds of the movie, I was like, oh my God, this is the best movie of the year, like without question. And then it just... It just stumbled a little bit too much, and I have to kind of knock it down for that. But, I mean, technically speaking, this is nearly flawless stuff. Yeah. So 8.5 for me. And I had a very close 8.8. It was just, it wasn't quite the 9, because it it had that huge gap, and they they could have just chopped that off, and it would have been good, better. (laughs) But on a $6 million budget, this is pretty phenomenal. I actually didn't know that before you said it, and I'm kind of amazed, because I would have thought this was would be at least like 20 or 30 million with how good it looked and how Mm -hmm. authentic everything felt. But I suppose if... Like we had mentioned, there's this fictional. None of these countries are real or anything, so you don't have to. There's no money to be spent there. You don't have to buy a right. There was no book rights sold or anything like that. It was just an mm. original. And you know what? Maybe this was based off a novel. This was though. based off a novel. Okay. Um, the book by it's yeah the same name, Beast of No Nation. Okay. So yeah, it was it was on that, but I think he was like a he. They brought him in as like a partner type deal, but. Yeah, very, and then Netflix bought it for twelve million. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, but I would recommend watching it again. Check when you're gonna watch it, kind of plan, plan. But and be aware it. that it is a heavy, 
violent, depressing movie. It's 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 kind of like a Schindler's List type movie. Yeah. I don't think it's quite as okay. That's impossible to say which is more depressing, but it's that kind of movie where yeah. it's you got to see it. It's worth seeing. It tells an amazing story, but you got to be in the right mood because it's heavy, and a lot of people don't like to watch movies for that feeling. They like to escape and feel good and mm -hmm. laugh. And this movie won't make you laugh. Not at all. And actually, the the two movies we were kind of bouncing around for movie of the week this week were because the theme is boy, mm -hmm. boy in the striped pajamas, which is like massively depressing. Yeah. And this is kind of on that same level. Yeah. yeah well. Yeah. The world of film. We could have watched about a boy with Hugh Grant. It's <sighs> pretty funny. Come on. Don't we watched that at our. Wasn't it? Uh, that was the Christmas. No, no, no. That's Love Actually. You're thinking of. They both have Hugh Grant in it. When did I see About a Boy? About a Boy. The kid about in About a Boy is the kid in Mad Max Fury Road. Like the main guy who's, who sprays silver in his mouth. Yeah. Nux or whatever. Yep. He's like a child in that movie. And when I watched it a couple weeks ago, I was I was terrified. I'm like, you grew up to be a monster. <laughs> you grew up to be a monster. What have I made you? But onto our uh, high priority movie news. The ongoing Oscar drama, which still is going on now, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more developments as of last week. The um, civil rights leaders were basically calling for all African Americans to just ban the Oscars. Chris Rock, people were trying to get him to drop out. He's still going to do it. Yeah, there's some boycott. Some um, notable figures are saying they won't watch or participate or, or go to the awards. Yeah, across the board. But the uh, Academy, meanwhile, in response has come up to this controversy with some some serious steps so they uh, they came out and said that they intend to uh, double the number of women and ethnic minority by 2020 and they've uh, placed some rules that um, they introduced that there's a 10-year limit meaning that you have voting privileges um, only if you have been working in the in the business of film for the last 10 years right so anyone, if you don't fall into that category, is just going to drop off. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. I, I think of all of the different responses to this controversy that have come up, uh, that there have been, this was probably the best route they could have gone. Instead of doing something like requiring a certain number of minorities to get nominated every year, to me that places kind of a, a dangerous precedent where you're, you're not picking people based on their abilities you're picking people based on their race which to me in my opinion is the exact opposite of what <laughs> they should be trying to do so i think the especially the rule with the 10-year limit is a great change i mean that instantly makes a lot of voters who haven't made a movie in at least 10 years they can't vote anymore i think this is going to make us see hopefully see a paradigm shift in what kind of movies we see nominated maybe less period pieces maybe some more modern stuff more respect might be given to genre pictures which is you know, science fiction, horror, uh, action are generally movies that aren't uh, uh, awarded or, or recognized by the Academy. And I think uh, trying to double the number of women and ethnic minorities would be a good change as well because I think while there are, I, I personally don't think that the Academy has necessarily <laughs> not nominated minorities mm -hmm. because of their mi the fact that they're minorities, but uh, you know, ha ha addressing that there's maybe a larger systematic issue uh, would be good, and that could be a good reason uh, that they made this change. So I like these changes. I think they're good. I think they're not quick fixes, and that hopefully we'll see some, some changes in the next couple of years. Yeah. I think this kind of responds to that, like, racism is still prevalent in America. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a huge issue. But the worst <laughs> of racism was in our past. Sure. And I think that the Academy is trying to get rid of their that generation – Right. Which I'm not I'm not opposed to. Right. You know, I'm well, not at all. And and not even just that, because I, I, I just think that even even get moving away from the whole the whole issue of racism, having members who have basically a limit into their membership is good for the academy as a whole because they're they're relevant. They understand the modern mechanisms of filmmaking and how the industry works now and what kind of movies are being made, how they're being made and stuff. Because if you haven't made a movie in a long time you are only you your your taste is going to be so limited your even the kind of movies you probably see is going to be limited but this is a good way to bring in new talent and keep those who if you haven't made a movie in 30 years you have no right to vote 
for best movie of the year. Because yeah. you have just as much of a right as me. I've never made a movie in my life, and I don't deserve to be an Academy member. But I, I certainly see that, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I think it's a good idea. I think it's yeah. a great idea. This was a smart response from them. Yeah. Considering the, the situation they were facing. So. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, we'll see that. We'll see, we'll see it move away. And hopefully this won't be a, 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 a controversy for the next couple of years. Um, but you never know. I think people will always find something to not be happy to about. To complain about or not, yeah. 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 It's just the Oscars. I think there's... It's unfortunate that the Oscars in particular have been targeted as being racist because I think the issue is elsewhere. Yeah. And I think that going after the Oscars it was maybe kind of a, kind of a going at the problem at the knees, not really necessarily hitting the, the problem where it counts, where it can be changed instead of just putting a cap on it or polishing it up and making it look better when the issue is bigger than the Oscars. So, we'll see. Yeah, we shall see. And what we shall see is... Who gets who wins? We know who's nominated, but yep. who gets the the Oscar? And there were some major award nominations that are not nominations, winners. Yes, two of the major guilds that we had previously discussed the uh, nominations for uh, they announced their winners. The uh, the major two being the Producers Guild Award and the Screen Actors Guild Award. And for the Producers Guild Award, the big winner there was The Big Short which was a huge surprise. People, of course, this year has been insane, so nobody knows what's gonna win, but everybody had expected um, Spotlight to win, because that is sort of considered the favorite for the Oscar, but the big short one, Best Picture, at the Producers Guild Awards, so now a lot of people have switched to say, oh, the, the big short is the new front runner, even though uh, it has not been even seen as one of like the top five movies for most people to mm -hmm. win. But then at the Screen Actors Guild Award, uh, Spotlight won Best Ensemble, so a lot of people are now saying it's between The Big Short and Spotlight. Uh, While well, Leo DiCaprio won, I believe, the Best Actor Award at the Screen Actors Guild. Yep. Brie Larson won Best Actress at the Screen Actors Guild. It's just insane, dude. I can't wrap my head around what's going on. I think a lot of people are going to be saying this or that's going to win because of, oh, the history behind it. But I think if any year has been setting up to have a surprise winner it's this year and that would be crazy even if it's a movie i didn't i, I personally don't want to win movie of the year uh, to see something unpredictable happen would be a nice change of pace yeah because before in, in past years there's always been kind of a predictable winner mm -hmm. that's kind of tracked from the start and this year it's like mm -hmm. all over the map I, I if it was up to me spotlight would win it because i think sure. it was the best made film right with the best and but Dude, I'd be, I'd be happy with... The only movie I wouldn't be... The only two movies I wouldn't be crazy about if they won was Bridge of Spies or Room. Having said that, I could still see how they would win and I would yeah. appreciate them, but literally any other movie could win and I'd probably be okay with it. I would prefer The Revenant or Mad Max or Spotlight uh, to win, but who knows? Who knows? Because, like, yeah, it's like, so unpredictable. Like, like you said, usually it's predictable. Last year, Birdman won the Producers Guild, Directors Guild, and uh, Screen... Maybe it didn't win the Screen Actors Guild. I don't remember, but I remember people saying when they got to the Academy War Awards, it was oh, expected. this going to win. And it did. And, and it did. And usually it's very predictable. And before that, there was... I forget who it was, and before that it was something was, else. I mean, the it. year before that, I think it was um, 12 Years a Slave, which was mm -hmm. considered the favorite to yeah. win. Uh, what else? The Artist, Argo. Those were all movies that people knew were going to win months before, and we're like two weeks away, and... I couldn't tell you who's going to win. I would I would still put money on Spotlight, but that's me basing my vote off of how things traditionally go, but it's been so wacky. Really, anything could win. Yeah, it could. And it's exciting. No, and that's, that's better. I think that does kind of breathe some, some air into the lungs of the award circuit, because before, it was, like you said, it was very one-dimensional, very... Yeah, it's no fun when I can print out a ballot and get, like, all of them but two right in a year. I should think that I'm going to win and have my nose in the air going, haha, I know so so much more than you, but and be totally wrong. Down to earth. It's kind of frustrating for me personally, but I don't bend money on these things, so I don't really mm -hmm. care that much. So I just hope it's crazy. I hope it's just ridiculous, and I hope like the most unpredictable crap happens at the Oscars, and it's cool, and people are angry and confused about it. And you can bet on the Oscars. Yeah, that's up true. Up until the moment the, the award ceremony opens, but... Moving on to our weekly segment, uh, By the Numbers, our uh, segment where we review the top five grossing movies in North America. We also cover the occasional flops that do occur 
in this modern cinema business. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, indeed. We didn't um, do them last week, but I do want to point out that The Revenant was number one mm -hmm. last week. So. And Star Wars moved from number three to number two, I believe. Ooh. So it actually, the week before last, it had dropped but moved up again. Because that so freaking I, I, Star I, I Wars. I wonder how that happened. Does, as people are just like, oh, I didn't... Movies like, some of the movies that came out, The Boy, Dirty Grandpa, The Fifth Wave, uh, 13 Hours, Ride Along 2, they made their money in a week and nobody went to go see them again. But yeah. something like Star Wars... Come on. There Everybody's going to see it like 8,000 times. So yeah, why don't you kick it off? All right, so we are starting at number five. It's right along two, which made a weekend uh, number, a weekend total of $8.4 million. So a total gross of $70.8 million on a budget of $40 million. So big hit. I'm sure we'll see a ride along three. For sure. Number four was The Finest Hours, the Benghazi. No, no, no. Was that... The Finest Hours? No, that was 13 Hours. The Finest Hours was the you boat. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, with uh, Jack, or whatever his name is, Pine, isn't it? Kurt, Captain Kirk. Yeah, Chris Pine. Chris Pine. <laughs> and Casey Affleck. Yeah, but The Finest Hours, might be, uh, which grossed in $10.2 million. This is the opening week, so they have, that's their gross, on a 70 to $80 million budget, still undetermined because of marketing. And one thing I thought was weird about that was that's a Disney movie. Yeah. That's a Disney movie. That's it's, such an odd release for them. I haven't seen it yet, but it's yeah, it seems kind of dark. Ugh, I just don't. I'm not interested. I mean, I want to see it, but ugh, I don't know. It looks like a perfect storm, and I like that movie, but I don't want to see it again. Yeah. It's well, just, and to me, the boat splits the story, because I read like the actual story versus the movie. The boat like splits in half. Spoilers, bro. That's not a spoiler. That's in the, that's in the, the trailer. Oh. That's what happens. And the thing the is, the boat would just... See, you ruined it. I didn't see the trailer. Sink to the ground. So now we can't ruin trailers? Like. Nope. Okay, so number three is Star Wars The Force Awakens with a weekend total of $11.1 Total domestic gross of $895 million on a budget of $200 million. Number one movie ever in the United States. I think number three worldwide could move up to number two, but yeah. I mean, fireworks for Star Wars. There's kind of like a like a zombie effect. Like just, they move up from three to two, and they're six. At that point, they well, it moved down to weeks. three again, but still, <laughs> that's pretty cool. But number uh, two is The Revenant, which was last week's number one, grossing in twelve million dollars. Um, their total gross is one hundred thirty-eight million on a one hundred thirty-five million dollar budget. Six weeks into the game. They at least broke even, and that doesn't include international. Yeah, this so is a hit. They made sure. money. And I think we were both kind of, we were questioning, we discussed this last episode, that we were kind of on the fence on whether this would make its money back, because it's mm -hmm. a pretty big budget for a movie, a long, two and a half hour long movie that's sort of a, an art house action type movie. Um, but people must be loving this thing. I mean, it was my favorite movie of last year. Um, so I'm super happy that people seem to be embracing it. Yeah. It's great. All right, and so number one is the what? What? I don't know. The number, this is kind of surprising. Go ahead. Oh, really? Okay. Number one is Kung Fu Panda 3. Uh, a new release this week, and it made a weekend gross of $41 million. Uh, so its total is also $41 million and a budget of $145 million. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a popular series. It is, yeah. So I, that'll make its budget back. I mean, that's the kind of, if you look at all the movies out, even down through number 10, that is the only kids movie. So I mean that's Which gonna pretty that's gonna be sticking around for I would say three or four weeks in the top five I bet. Yeah. Because I mean you, you can't take your I mean all the kids in the world have seen Star Wars three times already, and that's starting to I think we'll see that drop off in the next week or two. Kids aren't gonna see The Revenant. Kids can't see Ride Along Two or. Kids can't see anything except for Kung Fu Panda. Well, I mean they're children, man. They're yeah. boys. They're boys. <laughs> So you yeah, would. I liked. The, I've only seen. I've only seen the first Kung Fu Panda. I I liked it. I didn't see the second one. Yeah, but I was you know. just surprised to see it. Not not so much that I'm like, poof. That why is that number one? But it's more like when you look at the rest of these films, yeah. kind of serious, like yeah. you know. You got that noodle sling and fat panda. That's what his job is in the movie. He sells noodles. He sells noodles. He's an abandoned. He's abandoned as a. What do you call a child panda? Like a cub? Are they cubs? I don't know. There's a child panda. His pandas are and bears. And like a duck adopts him who sells noodles. So he sells noodles and he's fat. It's great. <laughs> Do these 
Disney. It's not Disney. It's Fox. Any of these like they're the whole like plots are just like obscene. Yeah, whatever. People like it, and it's actually gotten really good reviews. So I've heard it's really good. Don't be such a curmudgeon. Curmudgeon bear. All right. When we come back, we are going to do the album of the week. Yes. The Cure. Three Imaginary Boys. Three Imaginary Boys, released in 1979. Indeed. Indeed, good sir. So you're going to be listening to music your parents probably listen to. And if you have creepy parents. If you have really creepy parents. Unless you are the parents, then this just sounds normal. Yeah. Then you have good taste. And you have good taste in music. All right, Weekly Neurosis, we will be right back. You know your eyes Welcome in. That was the pizzazz. <laughs> the screen just flashed. Welcome in back yep. to Weekly Neurosis. We are now in our album of the week section. Ethan, take it away. Alright, so this week we are discussing the album Three Imaginary Boys from the group The Cure. Alright, and a little background information. The Cure is an English rock band that has been recording music since the late 1970s. They have a surprisingly expansive career that covers a plethora of genres. Uh, such as gothic rock, post-punk, new wave, and even some pop mixed in there. Uh, the band is most noticeable by their frontman named Robert Smith, who is known for his unique physical appearance, which generally consists of long, messy hair, smudged makeup, pale skin, and a general look of somberness and melancholy. Uh, much of their music fits his appearance as well. Uh, this particular album, uh, Three Imaginary Boys, was released in 1979 and was their debut album. Uh, and it's somewhat infamous for the band's disagreement with the label uh, over which songs were included on the final product. Uh, Robert Smith and the other members of The Cure claimed that the studio had uh, completely uh, overridden what songs were to be included on the album, so basically the band themselves didn't get to pick what songs made the final cut. Um, and since this album's release, Robert Smith has uh, demanded that whenever they release an album, he gets final say over which songs get put on. Uh, but this album is, as we'll talk to in a minute, at least in my opinion, it's a nice introduction to the band's sound uh, and generally is a new wave rock album with some punk influences mixed in. So uh, what did you think about this? I thought it was a pretty good album. I had, up until the time you texted this to me, I had no idea like that this album technically existed. I did not know that this was their first album. But you knew about The Cure, right? I knew about The Cure. Sure. But uh, to me, Pornography was their first album right. at, at, up to that point because that was their first pop. But this is very different. It mm -hmm. is a good, I agree with you, it's a very good introduction. Um, it kind of ties in a, a lot of what they eventually did, kind of in muted tones. But mm -hmm. again, really good start. Sure. You know? And I'm kind of shocked that there are like extra tracks. Those will probably come around when one or two or three members dies, they'll probably be like the deleted tracks. Well, and actually, another kind of interesting thing about this album is in Australia, the album was released under the title Boys Don't Cry, and it actually had a different track list with songs that weren't on it. This album is kind of weird. It's not like what Robert Smith has said, is it's not what he wanted to release, but it's what has been released, and that's what this album is. Yeah, but. overall though, for a first album, really good. Yeah. For, and they, considering, too, that this was released like three years or two years after they became a band. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, first ever gig together and did all that stuff. So I thought it was a really good album. What about you? Yeah, I think, you know, if you know anything of The Cure, I think in general this is a more high-energy album yep. from them. It's, it's more pop, not necessarily poppy, but it's just more upbeat. But in general, I'm kind of a passive fan of The Cure. I don't really love them. And I kind of have to be in the mood to listen to them, but this is one of their more kind of accessible albums, I think. I like how upbeat some of the songs are, but it has those more somber moments on it as well and kind of that weird goth feeling to it. But uh, I think Robert Smith, his, his vocal style is very unique, and it, he, this is a good introduction to how he sings. Uh, it's kind of a teary-eyed, emotional sound. He, he always sounds like he's kind of belting out 
you know, his, his deepest feelings from his heart and it's very emotional and it almost sounds like he's crying all, all the time when he's singing. And, and I think that's kind of the general tone of The Cure's music. And even though a lot of their individual albums sound different, this one included, this is a good album to introduce the band to. Yeah. Because it's diverse enough, but catchy enough, because there's some super catchy songs on here, uh, but there's also some songs that aren't so catchy. And I think as a whole, it's, it's a solid album, and it's short, too. It's like 33 minutes long yeah, or something. Yeah, it, it blew me away how short it was. But mm -hmm. I think this is a good introduction, because where they eventually went, because I mentioned before, I, I knew them at the start from Pornography, which is a very downtrodden album. Mm -hmm. More ambient. Yeah, and they almost broke up after that, from what I understand. So to hear this was really interesting, but it really mixed itself well together. Sure. Surprisingly, you know, considering a record label essentially picked the songs, but... Right. Yeah, I think, I think one, came from. one thing with The Cure, though, uh, knowing who they are and knowing some of their more famous albums, how kind of slower-paced and ambient they are, I think if you go into this not knowing anything about The Cure, I still think this might be a little bit more downbeat than you're used to with rock music. Mm. Uh, I, I think a lot of the songs are maybe a little bit too short and could have been fleshed out, but since this was the freshman effort from this group, I kind of give them a pass on that. And knowing that they were around for so long and still, I mean, as far as I know, they're still a band today and they still tour and record now. Uh, so, so knowing that, even though some of the ideas on this album are kind of half-baked, I think it's a solid listen, but it still might be kind of an odd listen for people who don't know who the Cure are. But also, ultimately, if you don't know anything about 80s new wave music, or if you can't stand quote-unquote old music, you're going to hate this. Yeah. Because this, this sounds absolutely dated by today's standards. Yeah. I mean, this is an old album. The, the recording quality was yeah, not mediocre great. at best. And yeah, the sound of it is very you know, rough sure. around the edges, but... Kind of an odd hodgepodge of songs, too. And I think after I read that Robert Smith wasn't happy with some of the song choices on here, it made some of the ideas made make sense a little more, because I think if we mention some particular songs in the album, uh, some of the ones that stick out to me, not necessarily in a good way, uh, there's a really strange cover of the song Foxy Lady on here. Yeah. The Jimmy, uh, Jimi Hendrix Experience song, a very famous song. I mean, the song is almost only a cover in title and lyrics because it sounds nothing not like good. that song. And it's not very good, and it kind of has this weird intro where he's like, this is a good intro, and it's kind of dumb and dopey, and it just sticks out bad. And another song on here I don't like is the song Object. I mean, it's it's kind of a catchy song, I gotta give it that, but I think it's kind of a shocking song, too. Mm -hmm. I, I, like, I, I think uh, maybe the song could be perceived as sexist but maybe i do think they were trying to make a point with it but robert smith specifically said he didn't want the song on the album and i can kind of see why it's just kind of a weird song but uh mostly i mean accuracy is the second song in the album it's a slower paced song that's really nice grinding halt is my favorite song on here really upbeat and catchy and then good uh, ending too considering the title yeah sure yeah I mean, that's one thing i was like oh it's pretty literal well, what's the one song on here subway song mm-hmm that has like a terrifying ending, yeah. where it's like a scream and it made me jump when I was listening to it. But uh, yeah, I also like the the, the uh, title track of the song, uh, Three Imaginary Boys, was kind of, kind of felt like the most perfectly written song of all of them. But yeah, I think this is a solid album overall. Yeah, it is. And for again, I keep bringing it up, but for a freshman effort, this is really, really solid. For sure. You know, and to think what else, Boys Don't Cry, I mean, that'd be, I'd, I'd hate to see what that costs on vinyl. Uh, the Australian... The, Aus the original Australian press... Yeah, I don't know. Be crazy, but what would you rate this, 1 to 10? I uh, have to give it an 8 out of 10. I think, as a fan of The Cure, kind of a, like I said, a passive fan, I think it holds up. I think it's a, it's an interesting album that has a nice variety of songs, uh, sounds, even though some of the songs are kind of half-written, and there's a couple of songs in there I don't like, but I think it's a fun album. I like it, so an 8 out of 10 for me. And for me, it was an even 8.5. And the reason I gave it a, an, that high of a rating is because I, did not, I didn't know this is where they started. Oh, okay. You know? So I always thought they started at this really kind of depressing place and went to, ascended to this sure. pop sound, rock sound, whatever you might call it. But really, I thought this was a really solid album mm -hmm. all around in terms of, you know, there were a couple weird songs and there's a couple things, but 
they kind of did what they did. They were who they were, and yeah. It's cool stuff. I think if you don't know who The Cure are, you know, give it a listen because it's short. But if you don't like it, probably don't listen to their other music. Yeah. Because I do think that the major fault with it is is that it does sound dated. It just sounds like there's not... It hasn't aged well in terms of its production, I don't think. Yeah. But I think if you look past that, it's really good. Well, we often talk about like intro albums. Mm-hmm. Like good good albums to introduce yourself to a genre or to a band this is interesting because it's a good intro album but it's also their first album right you can't you can't say that that often that's true yeah because a lot of times the 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 debut album from a group will be real kind of them just toying around not sure who they are but this sounds pretty confident and they were playing with a lot of different sounds and it's not while this does sound a lot different from their later stuff you can see how they got there from here i think yeah so definitely but good solid marks from them. Yeah. So for sure. The Give it a listen. Available on Apple, uh, Apple Music, Spotify. Can find I, don't, it. I don't think they have any qualms with. I think downloading it's, you could service. find it on YouTube or anything you want. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. easy to find stuff. You need to get it full free. But um, onto the high priority music news, really only had one thing, which was Kanye West. Yes. We've spoken about him on this show in the past. Yay. Yay. King Yeezy. And the epic album Yeezus. No. That's just not. But his new album, which has changed names now twice, once? Three times. Three times. No, twice. You're right, twice. Because it was originally like God loves Kanye or something. like. No, mm-hmm. like God is the best or something. And then it was Swish. And yeah. now it's Waves. So three. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's, like we said off air, he's in the, the news, as they say, in the headlines for nothing to do with music. Well, because Kanye, you know what happened? Kanye West was, he was on his computer, he was on the Google, he was on Flipboard and on the Yahoo in the news section. And he, he was like, holy shit, I'm, nobody's talking about Kanye. So he decided to do something so people talk about Kanye again. And here we are. Talking about Kanye. So what has he all done? What has he done this time? <laughs> His job, basically. And that's, and that's the thing is he's clearly got a, a PR machine behind him. Right. Pushing his album onto us. Because all he did, all he had to do to get his name out there was to go on Twitter and say, I just, I, I'm so excited that I just finished recording the greatest album of all time. And he posted like a handwritten note with a song list for the album on it and then like two days later he changed the name of the album and now there's this whole twitter beef as it were with Wiz Khalifa and him going back and forth Kanye West it's all designed to sell records and fill seats I just think that Kanye West believes that when he dies the earth will stop stop rotating (laughs) don't get me wrong but again it was kind of this mess yeah. Like, you know, he basically, like, threw a pile of confetti at you, and he's too, some people like that. He's the guy, he's the kind of guy who, I think I, it was a quote from a stand-up comedian who said, a stand-up comedian stops being funny when they're no longer taking the bus. Mm-hmm. Basically, when somebody is no longer relatable, a lot of the time their artistic output isn't relatable. And Kanye West is, like, the biggest example of that to me. Like, his music is, is about nothing but about how miserable and hard fame is. And I know it's easy to be like, oh, well, oh, poor you, you got all this money, when in fact, sure, he's a human being and he's got issues. But all this stuff he says, I don't, I don't see any depth to his music anymore that is valid to me. I don't relate to his music. I think a lot of it is context. People talking about the context of what he's doing musically is being so great. When, in, when people said Yeezus was this great experimental hip hop album, that I'm like, no, people had been doing that for years. The only thing that made him doing it notable was that he was this mainstream guy who decided to make a weird album, and mm-hmm. somehow that's revolutionary, when he didn't do anything revolutionary on this album. No, and to me, it's like it's almost like brand name hip-hop. Yeah. Anything he can put out, people will love. And honestly, the only thing, and this sounds really stupid, and it's kind of an inside joke between you and I, <laughs> but like the only thing I can relate to that on that album is like the croissant story thing, <laughs> story, whatever. You know, because I eat an abnormal amount of croissants, love croissants. But. Yeah, listen to Yeezus if you want to understand that. Yeah. Yeah, I just, he, he's impossible to relate to. And I think some people come up with some weird meta reason to find why that's so deep and interesting. But 
I don't think that any, if you look at the last like three albums he's put out, there's just, to me, there's nothing there that attests to greatness to me. And his song, Hold My Liquor, can either be, that is like a black and white deal for me. Because if you listen to it, it's either just total shit or it's like, okay, he's like, he's getting at something. But it's just not, that whole album was way too off base. On, a, on any given day, a critic could give it an eight, and on a, any given day, a critic could give it a two. It's so fucking out there and just weird, and you know, a little bit of an electronic feel. It's just Kanye West is that guy who you run into, and he's talking and talking, and he's talking. He's saying the craziest shit, and what he's saying does make sense, doesn't make sense, and one of two things is happening to a person like that. Option A. This guy is a genius, and he lives on a plane higher than the rest of us. Option two, he's a complete moron and doesn't understand anything he's saying, and he's rambling. I think Kanye West is probably the latter, but a lot of people have interpreted that as genius. Having said that, the songs we've heard from his upcoming album are pretty good. Yeah. The song No More Parties in L.A. is easily the best thing he's done in forever, probably thanks to... Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> and just to put it in perspective, because I listen to a lot of hip-hop, I've heard more good, solid, love-it hip-hop songs from Ishtar, who's a rapper from Milwaukee, hmm. who actually tweeted me back when I tweeted him, and I said, I love you music. He tweeted me back, thank you, bro. You're so famous, man. You're Twitter famous. Not, he's had like 1,400 followers <laughs> at that point. But he, I've heard more good songs from him than I have from Kanye West. Now, his new s stuff sounds good. Hope it follows in that direction. I hope so, too, because Yeezus was such a bummer to me. Yeah. Like, I think when it first came out, I really liked it, and I was really intrigued by it. But then I stood back, and I looked at... The reason I thought this was so interesting isn't because the music itself is speaking to me. It's because the idea of somebody as famous as Kanye West doing an album this ridiculous is fascinating. Yeah. And I think if you divorce yourself from that, if you are somebody who has never heard of Kanye West before and you listen to that album, you would go, this is garbage. Lyrically, it's totally shallow. I don't feel sorry for this guy. I don't relate to this guy. I don't get this guy. There's a really thin gray line on that album. Yeah. And it's either it's either gold or trash. Yeah, and I think maybe, maybe, maybe we would fall on the side of disliking that album, but a lot of people would say it's polarizing, and that's one of the things that makes it so great. So the fact that we're sitting here talking about it two or three years after it's came out maybe says something, but I do not think that he's... Any of the music he's put out lately has been great, and I'm hoping he changes it with this, but I think Kanye West, the person, is more interesting than the music he makes. So, I don't know. Meh. Kanye. Kanye. Yeah. I liked his early stuff. Yeah, dude, his Loved first, his like, three stuff. albums are classic. <sighs> but anyhow, obsessions. What are you obsessed about? Well, I have been obsessed with new electronics lately. New electronics everywhere. I got myself a brand new shiny laptop. I was going to wait a couple of months, but I was like, no. So I bought it, and it cost me a whole bunch of monies, but it's awesome, and I love it. And I'm thinking about other stuff I can get. I want to get an NAS drive. I want to get a new jump drive. Uh, I, we're talking about shortly here getting microphones and upgrading significantly the sound quality of our podcast here. Upcoming announcement. Yeah, very spo spo spoiler. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've just been uh, thinking about all the different shiny. I just got a new case for my laptop here, and yeah, yeah, I, I'm an Apple person, so You're I got touching it ever so lightly. I am. It's like really. <laughs> well, if you paid this much for a laptop, you would. <laughs> but yeah, that's what's been on my brain. How about you? For me, a big announcement is that our sound quality is gonna jump. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no, it's I, we bought a mixer. I bought a mixer. Yeah. It's it's a used. The only way I'd have it, I used a Samson mixer. And yeah, the, that's kind of what I've been obsessed about. I've been reading about how to operate it and what the different buttons do, actually. So it's gonna we're going to go from one mic to two mics mm -hmm. <laughs> and kind of see what that, that's all about. But I've been, I've been obsessed with that. And uh, pretty much all the movies I missed out on at the end of 2015... It's tough, man. Get into those. I've been focusing on 2016. I've been watching a lot of on-demand movies, which sounds weird. But, you know, I'm a big horror dude, so I've been, like, renting movies from Voodoo and stuff. But I'm trying to... I'm keeping up this year, dude. Because a lot... Like, Family Video... I was thinking about this the other day. Family Video is a local video chain. It For us. Yeah. Like, do videos... Like an actual store where you go... Where you go and rent movies. 
Do they actually have the movies that are like, let's say you're a genre like a direct like to DVD? Are. Yeah. Yeah, they have those. Can you get that? I've yeah. always wondered about that. If they're t that's been, how they're staying alive. I haven't been there in a while. No, I think how a place like that stays alive, alive is by having lots of copies of new releases and having them at awesome prices. Mm -hmm. And it's and due to socioeconomics, but that's a conversation. <laughs> Jesus. No, I don't even do that. I mean, I just rent stuff now on 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 digitally. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I was always wondering about that. But yeah, that's that's what I'm obsessed with. The mixer is going to be a huge. Yeah. Step step in the right direction. Yeah, the, I think we'll be the sound will just be so much better. I think. Well, it's gonna sound different. Yeah, you're gonna hear us in a way you've never heard us before. Never before. Yeah, I need to think of my like in my marketing self. Yeah, it's gonna be great. That's what it is. Obsessions this has been the boy episode. Yep. We're back. We missed a week due to <sighs> to to illness and awful weather. And all that, we were originally going to review the movie The Boy today, but weather wiped that Mother out. Mother Nature said, nah. Snow. That's what it said. An illness. It happens, dude. It's that was okay. the fastest cold I've ever had, four days. That's okay. Whatever. It took me four days, and that was it. That was all the cold was. It was super intense, but it was four days. But, yeah. It happens. That's life. This is Weekly Neurosis. This has been The Boy episode. Again, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. The name, Weekly Neurosis. At Weekly Neurosis. There's all Tweet kinds us, of fun stuff on there. Tag us. You get a weird picture, tag us in it. I don't care. Yeah, anything. Once tell, again. Tell us we suck. Yeah, if we'll, anything we'll, written on our Facebook wall, and I've been waiting <laughs> weeks for this, anything you want, I will open the first break reading exactly what you've written. I think that... Whoever makes that first comment or first at to us on Twitter, it's, it's going to be a big deal. So let that be you. Yeah. Do it. And you can't be Greg. No. You can't be you can't Ben. Be, you can't mm, be... You could be... Yeah. You could be Ben. You could maybe good. be Ben. Yeah. Anyone but Greg, basically. <laughs> <laughs> can make that comment. And we'll read it. All right. Weekly Neurosis, the boy episode. We're gone. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And everybody, please take care.